0: All right. Good morning. Hey. Well, uh, if you grab, came in, and grab a packet. Um, I won't be upset if you don't take it. So uh, just glad you guys are here as we uh, just kind of work on stuff and talk through stuff. So uh, my name is Dan. I'm, I'm actually from the Santa Clarita area, Valencia Hills Community Church. Uh, we're about a mile from Magic Mountain. Uh, so we're, we're at, we can see it from our, pretty much from our, our church. So uh, we get to talk about uh, anger, and so, you know, my wife heard I was here and I was going to talk about this, and she's like, be careful with what you say, uh, a bunch of these guys. No, so uh, I'm going to look forward to to thinking about what God's Word has to say, some practical tools, because this is something for all of us. This is an all of us thing. I still have never met the following guy who said the following, oh, that, that's never an issue for me. Uh, if they are, they, they need to go to a different seminar on lying. So... All right, but before we do that, I just—I'm gonna need a, a, a volunteer in a second. I need a volunteer who uh, thought they had some athletic ability in high school. Anybody? Oh, come on up! Give, give, give him a hand. Oh, oh, that's not a good start. That's not a good start. You name me, David. David. Uh, all right, did you play any sports in high school? A little bit. A little bit. All right, all right. So, uh, so I have these two mugs here, okay, the two mugs. It's not going to be too crazy, so you don't have to worry about it, David. It's all right, it's all right. So since we're talking about this, you know, this idea of anger, um, the, the water in each of these mugs, the water in each of these mugs represents the stress, the pressures, the sin nature, the gas prices, the politicians you don't like, all the stuff that goes on inside us that isn't good, right? Can kind of, all those hard things alive. Now, when you spill them, that represents the anger coming out. All right. So when you spill the water, it's like the anger's coming out. Does that make sense? So I, I, I just I'm gonna need you not to spill it all. Don't don't spill it all because you, you have a lot of athletic ability. Right? That's still in you. Right, David? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So if you just pick those both up, just don't spill any, because we don't want any anger spilling out in your life. <laughs> right? Because you're an athletic dude, and you can't ever set him down. Oh, you're already spilling. Really? Right, Dave, what do you do for work? Security guard. A security guard. How's your boss at work? He's good. He's Okay, good. So, um, so you know, I, I, for today I'm going to be your new boss in security. And I'm not a nice boss. <laughs> All right, so I have a favor to ask. Um, you know, there's this blue pen I forgot in the thing there here. Can, can, can no, Don't help him. Don't help him. Even though we're at Hume Lake. We're, know we're at Hume Lake. Don't help him. Can, can you just, like, go down and give me that pen? And don't set those cups down. Don't set them down. You have to hold it in two hands. No spilling. Just go down those stairs. Just go down those stairs. Just give me the pen. And while I was talking, I'll tell you, hey, come on. Wait, come on. The anger is spilling over. Come on, I just need you to get a pen. Just get a pen. Man. holding them right. Man, I-, I think you're as le- athletic as Wes- Russell Wilson or Russell. Oh, now, now, now I've got you mad. <laughs> now, any Bronco fans in here? Uh, happy. I, I, I'm a Seahawk fan, so uh, go Hawks, right? Uh, you're still spilling. Now, just to put that in two hands. Just two hands, don't set them down. Oh, oh here, here. Now, now our guest speaker can't sit there. Come on, the anger keeps spilling. Oh, he's a, he's going to cheat and sit down. I know it. And then carry the pen up. You know, I know I'm a lazy boss. I could bring it get it myself without two mugs, but you know, life's not fair. You're doing great though. Anybody see the the Philly Padre game? Who won? Phillies. Oh, that's good. That's really good. All right, David, you're doing a great job. I'm going to keep talking. You're just doing great. Um, so, wow, look at that seat. I almost want to take a picture of it. <laughs> this looks like someone had an accident there. <laughs> but, David, you're, you're doing great, though. Uh, you're re- really doing great. How, how's the pressure, David? All right. It's all right. Now, now if, if you can just set the mug down, and then I'll take the pen. Yeah, you're doing great. Oh, 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 hey, thanks for helping me out. I know I'm a lazy boss. All right. Oh, it's all wet. All right. Uh, uh, why don't you give him a hand? Here is uh, your free shake. Hopefully it was worth the free shake. Now, here's what I want to talk about. The Bible's really clear about the heart, Right. Often we just look at the external behavior. David, you were great. Actually, you were were great. You probably deserve more than a shake for that exercise. It's like last time I volunteered for something at Hume Lake. Right? But what happens is all of us have pressures. All of us have, anybody have any family members that aren't completely happy with you? All right, you don't have to raise your hand on that. Right? And the the cup gets filled up and filled up, and then the littlest thing happens and what? Spills over. Right? And spills over. And, uh, like, now now imagine this. Imagine if I just took one of these mugs and I uh, actually work on the pressures. I have less resentment. I actually work on my walk with God. And some of the water is now out. And now it's only half full. Now, is there a chance I could still spill at half full? Of course there is. But what are the chances? They're far less, right? They're far less if that mug is half full. Now, is there times you might trip on some root out here and spill it? Of course it is. All of us are still going to struggle with this. But some of us are walking around, and we're about this far away from being annoyed, ticked off. Actually, in churches, we don't get angry. We just get frustrated. That's what I've heard in church world, right? All right. But what happens is it spills. And some of you, though, some of you, you're like, I don't even know if I'm even here. I'm not the type that yells. But on the inside, there's some some stuff, rage going on, or actually a nicer word is annoyance. Uh, All that stuff is just going on. And on the outside, you're like, I'm good, I'm good. And on the inside, you're like, I can't stand him. He's an idiot. Or whatever's going on inside you. So part of this is, the the Bible's really clear. Uh, You know, Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart right it's interesting when I I'll have to give give, this is my bent and some of you this might be annoying to you so you can be annoyed that's okay so I'm I'm one of those counselor types um, and so it's interesting when I when I sit in my office with 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 people and ask hey how's your relationship with God they almost give me a behavioral answer not a heart answer they'll say something like this well I haven't been to church lately or or, or I, I haven't been reading the Bible lately. Or, yeah, I was praying more lately. I, I never hear the following when I say, how are you doing spiritually? Oh, I have a little hard heart. Yeah, yeah. Or, uh, yeah, I'm more receptive to, to stepping out in faith. It's amazing. We ha- Anybody here ever go to church and still have a hard heart? Oh, yeah. Or you, like, read through the Bible and you're like, got that out of the way. Or whatever it is. So we can do the- now, again, I'm all for a part of a local church. I'm part of the word. Of course, of course, of course. But the Bible is clear, clear, you know, 1 Samuel 16, 7. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the, the heart, right? So what we're going to do is uh, in a little bit of, is look at, in my opinion, it's just my opinion, probably if not the angriest man in the Bible, I think. Now, there might be some, some guys that could have a competition with this guy. His name was Absalom. And, and I guarantee you, for whatever churches you guys are coming from or whatever, there's no Sunday school stories about Absalom. It's R-rated. I get, like, the Bible in this passage in 2 Samuel, this is not some, oh, and he was loving towards his dad, and they embraced and praised Jesus. There's none of that. There's assault, violence, revenge, more sexual assault, Civil War, I mean, people being stabbed. I mean, it, it's crazy. So I thought, this is better for the men's conference than the marriage conference. <laughs> I was here last month for the marriage conference. I did not use Absalom at all. <laughs> this is good for a, a, us guys to think about. All right, so take the handout. I hope you grabbed it from the back. If not, grab one. There's still more on the tables in the back. It'll be actually helpful as we go through this. On the second page, page two, on the top are like is the, like this this box of nine things. It says personal ingredients for anger. You see that little box on page two. So like that first one, injustice. What I mean is not fair. For instance, let's say a guy uh you get, let's say a guy gets passed up for a promotion and the guy less qualified gets the job. What's the chances of that guy having some anger at home that night? Absolutely. Yeah, what's going on here? And then the wife goes, what's wrong? Nothing. What's your problem? You know, and you know, arguments happen and all that. All right, injustice, rejection, powerless, feeling incompetent. That's probably, I, I've never had a guy say, oh, I could care less if they respect me or not. Yeah. I never will, right? Um, that's why, like, in a, in a marriage setting, the wife will say, well, why'd you do that? Which really is code for, I think you're incompetent with what you just did. <laughs> And then he gets real defensive and she's like, I was just being curious, right? And then they have a fight and then they end up in my office, right? Isolation, contempt, that's a big one. Lack of forgiveness, whether it's a week ago or years ago. Hopeless, feeling disrespected, all that kind of stuff. So we're, I, want, I want you to keep these kind of words and phrases in mind as we look at Absalom's life. So as we look at Absalom's life, here's what I'm hoping you'll do. You're like... I need to learn from this guy of what not to do. This is one of those stories of what not to do. There's not a single part of this story that you're like, oh, I should repeat that. I guarantee that's just not going to happen as we look at uh, this this, this story. Okay, so to start out the story, there's these, these three people, these three siblings. Not a good story. So there's Amnon, okay, that's one of the siblings. That's Amnon. We have Absalom and Tamar. All right, 2 Samuel 13. So we have these three siblings, some are half siblings, because David has his issues with women, that's another whole talk. Um, But so we have these three guys, Amnon, Absalom, and Tamar. And what happens is uh, Amnon uh, is sexually attracted and wants power over his half-sister Tamar. So he pulls this trick, one thing leads to another, and he sexually assaults her, right? Um, and then, I mean, it's an awful thing. It's it's criminal. It's wrong. Like how you do do this. And then Absalom hears about it. So, like I said, this was not a marriage conference topic, right? All right. So I'm going to go to page four. We're going to look at Second Samuel here and how this verse relates to Absalom's anger. All right. So I'm in verse twenty on page four. The kind of the middle of page four there. So in Second, uh, so it says this verse twenty. Her brother Absalom said to Tamar, this is after this awful event has happened, this awful event just happened, has Haman your brother been with you? Be quiet now, my sister, he's your brother, don't take this thing to heart. By the way, never, this is about as bad a advice you can give to a sister. Like, don't make this a big deal, is what he's saying to her. Now, some things don't change. I do, when, I do a lot of family counselings, and I've had a lot of people say, you know, what happened 20 years ago? You're making a big deal out of it. When it was really serious. It was an ugly divorce. It was domestic violence. It was somebody stole mo- some inheritance money. Whatever it is, and they'll say, come on, what's your problem? All right, so some things don't change. All right, he's doing the same thing. This is terrible, terrible advice. And Tamar, now notice this, and Tamar lived in her brother's house, a desolate woman. So he gets to know her more. So she, is, she actually leaves the palace and go to really live with Absalom. So I guarantee they get to know each other more. Now verse 21, when King David heard all this, he was furious. And Absalom never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad. He hated Amnon because he had uh, disgraced his sister Tamar. So David gets really angry internally, but does nothing. He's as passive as can be with his actions. He didn't follow through. Anybody here have a a boss, a parent, or someone you know? They might talk about what they're going to do, and then what? They don't do anything. They buckle. They don't do anything. And David does nothing, and this is part of Absalom's anger. Right? Now, and in those days, the kings had way more power than, let's say, our president's. He didn't have to jump through some committee to do something. Like, he could have just said, put him away in jail, kill my son. Like, he could have done whatever he wanted. He had the power to do that, and he was passive. So Absalom starts being infuriated here, at what's going on. So, um, now, just, just think of this. Now, things are stewing in it. Anybody know some of that stews? All right. Uh, you, might, you, know, you know, for other guys, other guys that couldn't make a team like. All right, so now in 2 Samuel 13, bottom of page 4. Now, two years later, so this is a two-year of stewing of what's going on. Two years. This isn't like two days later. Uh, Absalom decides to have a family party with just the guys. Right? He, he's, he's like, I want to have this party. You know, let, let's get together. He goes to his dad, David, and says, hey, you want to join us? David goes, no blessings on you, but no, I'll uh, stay back. So he throws a party for all uh, siblings, especially his brothers, and it's a trap. And so here what happens is, verse 26, um, this, Then Absalom said, If not, let it please my brother Amnon to come with us. The king asked him, uh, why should he, he go with you? Then Absalom urged him, so he sent with him Amnon and the rest of the king's sons. Verse 28 on page 5. Absalom orders men, listen, when Amnon is high in spirits from drinking wine, and I say to you, strike Amnon down and then kill him. Don't be afraid. Haven't I given you this order? Be strong and brave. Now, this is talking about Premeditated. This is premeditated stuff here. So for two years he's been stewing, he gets a party going, his brother now is drunk, and he's like, wait till he's drunk, and he gets other guys to help do the crime. And these guys are probably nervous, because if they get found out that they killed one of David's sons, what could happen to them? They could be dead. And Absalom goes, don't worry, I got this, I got this. So uh, verse 20 uh verse 29. So Absalom's men did to Amnon what Absalom had ordered, then all the king's sons got up, mounted their mules, and fled. It's crazy time. It reminds me of uh, you know, sometimes you watch these crazy like YouTube videos where there's an all-out fight at like a casino or some place, and it's like just craziness. Um, I was at uh, I helped coach basketball. This reminded me of, it wasn't this bad, it wasn't a murder, but there was an um There was these two brothers on a team, and I was part of the the coaching team, and the younger brother got a pretty strong elbow in the game that looked pretty intentional. And the older brother, who was the biggest guy in the court, comes over to defend him. So he comes over and just shoves the guy to the ground and benches clear, including parents. You ever seen those YouTube videos where, like, it's crazy? I, like, I was like, this is happening. <laughs> We're in it right now, and I saw about 15 people all throwing punches at once in the gym. So this is the this kind of thing that was happening. I, I think I was about one step away from calling the police. Like, and then there's this one guy, and ba- he's carrying his baby in the like, store, talking smack to the other dad. It's like <laughs> this. All right. Talk about craziness. So some things don't change. This is obviously a little more tense. A murder happened. It's obviously awful. So then Absalom, if you, king, if you kill one of the king's sons, what do you need to do? You take off your life. You better get out of here. You, you know, you better flee. So uh, 2 Samuel 13, 38. So he fl- flees to Geshar and goes there for three years. Now notice, David still does nothing. There's no sign of David addressing that sexual assault, the rape. There's no sign of now a son's been murdered, and the passivity continues, and Absalom knows it. And the anger keeps, keeps growing. Now, Absalom was a pretty arrogant guy. I mean, it already shows that. So I'm now in 14, verse 25. In all Israel, there is not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. So he's good looking, and he knows it. From the top of his head to the sole of his foot, there was no blemish in him. Whenever he cut the hair of his head, he used to cut his hair once a year, and he would weigh it. might know anybody in high school that they loved their hair like this? And they thought they were the man? Like, like he would only cut once a week, And he probably would go out, he probably put it on YouTube. Like, look, do you see how much? Look look at this. Right? That's the type. Now, the, Now, the hair is actually significant. We'll talk about that here in a second. Now, three sons and a daughter were born to Absalom. His daughter's name was what? Tamar. Tamar. Now, what was his sister's name? Tamar. Who did he name his one daughter after? His sister who was assaulted. So you can see there's a lot of stuff brewing in this guy. You don't name your one daughter after your sister if it wasn't for significant reasons. You don't do that just for no reason, right? So that's kind of what, what's going on here. Now, what happens is Absalom then now comes back to Jerusalem after three years. It's Another whole crazy part of the story, but he comes back in 1428. Absalom lived two years in Jerusalem without seeing the king's face. So now they're living back in the same town and they don't talk. And probably everybody knows it. You ever been to like a family function where there are certain people in the room that will not talk to each other or be in the same room, and everybody knows it, but they act like nobody does? That's what's kind of going on here. They're literally in the same town of Jerusalem. And the king and the king's son never talk at all. Now talk about, again, David's passivity. I'm not saying I'm blaming all on David, but David's fueling the fire. David could say, hey, we need to talk. Let's address this. There's none of that that's, that's really going on. Uh, verse twenty nine then Absalom sent for Joab now Joab was one of like david 's key commanders right one of his key commanders in order to send him to the king he basically joab i need to talk i need to talk to the king i 'm willing to talk i 'm willing to talk so he calls Joab but Joab refused because Joab's probably ticked off like seriously like Whose side is he on? He's on David's side. Of course he is. But Joab refused to come to him. So he sent a second time, but he refused to come. Verse 30. Then he said to his servants, look, Joab's field is next to mine. He has barley there. Go set it on fire. So Absalom's servants set the field on fire. That's the way to get a guy's attention. Right? Imagine, imagine if there's some guy in your town and two people aren't talking. So they are like, fine, I'll set this building on fire. Yep. I mean... I mean, this guy, this is, this is raging. I mean, you don't go just set people's fields on fire, their livelihood, if you're not raging inside. Um, verse uh, 31, then Joab went to jo- uh, Absalom's house. Joab finally shows up. That got his attention. I'm like, if someone set my house on fire, that would get my attention too. Right? And Joab says, why have your servants set my field on fire? Verse 32, Absalom said to Joab, look, I sent word to you and said, Come here so I can send you to the king to ask, why have I come from Geshur? It would be better for me if I were still there. Then now, I want to see the king's face. He's demanding that. Now now listen to this next phrase. If I'm guilty of anything, let him put me to death. What? He's saying, look at that phrase, if I'm guilty of anything, he's saying, Joab, I'm innocent. I've done nothing wrong here. Now, wait, you just sent the guy's field on fire. You just sent now I want to like a little pause from the story real quick. Talking about rationalization. You murder a guy, you send a guy's field on fire. I, I've done th- nothing wrong. I'm I am i I'm not like the you know the King's Sons in the other countries. I'm not like those guys. I've done nothing wrong. So here's, here's a tidbit about when I think of anger and when I talk to guys about anger. And this is something that you do, I do, we all do. We minimize the impact and we minimize our behavior. I've had guys say the following, well, it's not like I was like swearing at her. It. It's not like I threw anything. Now, some, some guys are professional stuffers and they're quiet for the week. They haven't talked to their family for a week. And that anger is just as bad, and that's just saying I reject you. So I have guys that's like, I don't, I don't yell like she does. All right, this is a true story. One time I was talking to this one couple, and the guy was, did have some anger problems, and all of a sudden he starts raising his voice in the counseling office and raising his voice some more. And she does, look up here, she does this. And uh, so I thought I'd have a little fun with it. I was like, oh, so he raises his voice, you raise your eyes. You both have anger problems. And guess who was really mad at me now? wife. Because she thought she was this amazing person. She's not like him. He needs help. Right? They both did. It just came out different. And we can do either one. Both of them had hard hearts. Both of them had lacked self-control. They both needed help. They both needed the gospel to change their, their lives. And they both blamed each other. He was like, she's so stubborn. She doesn't get it. She's so arrogant. And he flies off the handle. What's his problem? Right? Okay, so here's something that I'm going to say that might tick you off. But I think I'll take a risk. at am like, here's something I really believe. Whatever angers us is a reflection of us. Whatever angers us is a reflection of us. Because we are professional blamers. right? Anybody ever hear this phrase? He makes me so mad. That's a blame statement. There's no ownership in that. I never hear Jesus saying, Peter just ticks me off. He doesn't get it. He's incompetent. Forget this thing. No, there's no blame there. There's no blame in our, so, but this is like the absolute worst. Absolute, I'm like. It says he's completely innocent. It's like, it's ridiculously the absolute, absolute uh, opposite. He didn't take any ownership. A little side note about anger. If you want to work on anger, one of the best things to do is look at the impact of the anger. How does it affect trust with people in my life? How does it affect my walk with God? How does it affect my wife's or girlfriend's security? How does it affect my kids opening up to me? How does it affect, look at the impact. I know that's humbling. I've had guys say, I'd rather have a root canal than do that, right? But I think that's just vital. So let's keep going. 2 Samuel 15 now. 2 Samuel 15. Now, just, re- just realize, he has this thing with Joab, the fire, and he wants to talk to the king. So uh, he actually talks to the king briefly. It's not genuine. This is not genuine change here going on. This is, this is now, he realizes he can take advantage of David's passivity and enabling. David doesn't confront stuff, and he knows it, and it's getting worse. So 2 Samuel 15 is this. In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses. Why would you do that as a, why would you get your own chariots going? If You're going to what? You're going to do something with it. You don't just do this to go to Vegas for the weekend. No, you're, he's getting ready to take over. Civil war is about to happen, and he knows what he's doing. Now listen to verse 3, 2 Samuel 15, 3. Then Absalom would say to him, look, your chains are valid and proper, but there's no, this is representative of the king to hear you. Absalom's talking to people this way. Like, if you want help, I'm here for you. I'm the one who can help you. What's he doing? He's splitting. He's saying, I want the power. I'm the man. Look at me. Now, look, this, this next verse is as blatant as it gets. Then Absalom would say, If only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or case would come to me, and I would see they receive justice. Whew. Receive justice? If I was to guess, who's he thinking about when he says that? Yeah, I'll tell you more. That That. That area has turned into contempt. There's hatred going on here. You don't say this stuff, year, this is probably years and years later now, without that anger that's been brewing and brewing and brewing. It's like that cup is fulling like one little thing and spilling everywhere. It's spilling out, and he hasn't dealt with it all, and it's just becoming chaos. So now, 2 Samuel 16, this is the most brutal part of it all. Uh, verse 20, Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give us your advice. What should we do? Now, this Ahithophel used to be David's advisor, and he's worried about a new, new king coming aboard, and he wants to keep his life, so he switches allegiance. Right? He wants to keep, keep his life. So he used to be David's, one of the main advisors. He's switching sides here. He sees, he sees what's going down the tracks. He sees what's happening. So then, the advice he gives to Absalom is absolute craziness. Sleep, this is what he tells Absalom, sleep with your father's confit pines, whom he left to take care of the palace. So, so David knows civil war is happening. David takes off out of town, leaves these ten women behind, and guess who takes over the palace now? Absalom. And the advice he is, basically says, go assault these women, go have sex with them all, and, uh, and we'll see what happens. Then all Israel will hear that you have made your, uh, uh, to your father, and the hands of everyone will know With you will be resolute. So he pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and he slept with the father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now, here's the crazy part. We don't know this 100% for sure. We think this is the same roof that David saw who? Bathsheba. Talk about family history junk. So he's assaulting David's women on the same roof that David saw Bathsheba, and the sexual sin went downhill from there. I mean, talk about crazy. Talk about, like, revenge. I mean, the revenge is absolutely crazy here. I mean, the family line. Now, civil war breaks out, fighting's happening. More stories to it. Go to the next page, page 7, and we'll hear how Absalom died. And it's funny but not funny, one of those moments. Okay, it's absolutely kind of crazy. Um, 2 Samuel 18 uh, says this. Now Absalom happened to meet David's men. So they find each other. He was riding his mule, and as the mule went under the thick branches of a large oak, Absalom's what? Hair of all things. He loved his hair. Remember, he would cut it once a year and all this. Absalom's hair, I mean, I, I, think, I think Absalom had, like, one of those really cheesy, like, shampoo commercials. <laughs> right? He was probably that guy. Absalom's hair got caught in the tree. He was left hanging in midair when the mule, and the mule kept riding on. He's hanging by his hair, and his head. He gets caught. He, he's riding along, and the mule just keeps on going. Mules aren't the smartest animals under the sun. They have some smartness, but not that much. And then Joab finds him. And and, he, and they, they, they kill Absalom, hanging from the tree with his hair. And that's the end of Absalom's life. I mean, what a crazy story. What an absolute crazy. But notice the anger going on here. Uh, just, just go back to that page two. Page two. Notice that top box, all the stuff that was going on in Absalom. Contempt, disrespect, lack of forgiveness—all that stuff. that's going on? You know what's crazy about the one story about him and the um, ten concubines on the roof? Guess, guess which started all this stuff? Is a story with his what? His sister. He was mad at Amnon, the perpetrator. And what does he turn into on the roof with the ten women? The perpetrator. One of the things I see with you and me sometimes is I don't want to become just like who? My mom, my dad. I'm not going to act like that. And then what sometimes happens? Now, I'm not saying we always do that, uh, but it's interesting how that does happen uh, sometimes. All right, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take like two minutes, talk to the guy next to you about what stood out in this crazy story. All right, you might go, Hi, this is awkward. What's your name? I'm so and so. Um, what do you think about this crazy story? Oh, go break chat. All right. You can stand up, move around, walk around. And what stood out in this crazy story of Absalom? All right. Go break chat. Right. I know I'm pushing it. Seems like I'm not used to this, an immense thing. You might be upset with me, but chat. Groups of two, three, whatever. I don't care. All right, come on back. All right, uh, I need a, a couple of you, just just curious. Uh two or three of you, what stood out so far in this crazy story? What's what stood out in this this insane story? Yeah. Mainly kind of what we came up with just basically if you don't deal with your anger quickly, it's like a cancer. Oh, it's like cancer, right. And if you got a chance to get it cut off now, of, you don't and you think, No, I got some right to keep it or whatever. Yeah, yeah. but if you become that and it kills you. Yeah, yeah. If you don't deal with Anger can become like cancer. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's so, so true. Or I think the typical way guys deal with it is, I got this. I got that. Right? You know how many times I've heard, I got this? Don't worry about it. Yeah, don't worry about it. Come on, you're just making a bigger deal out of this. It's, it's not that big a deal. Right? Can't we just have a little peace in our house? <laughs> yeah. right? I've heard those kind of phrases. All right, someone else, what stood out? Yes, real loud, please. Uh, felt like he, was right. he felt he was right. He was probably He was justified. Right. Here here's what would happen. Just just I can't turn off the counseling part of my brain. If Absalom came to my office for counseling, he would say this. My dad is out of control. I try to protect my sister. He doesn't do it. He has the power. He he's he's he acts all strong in, you know, public but in private, he's a wimp. What's his problem? Right? And here here I try to help help, help out my family, help out my sister, and no one else does. Like this Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the sexual secrets of this family are crazy. I mean, this is just one part of the sexual secret stuff. It's really interesting. At the very end of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 12, which we think Solomon wrote, it says, and this is at the end, end of Solomon's life, we think. It says, For uh, God will bring everything into judgment, including every secret thing. He uses the word secret at the very end of Ecclesiastes 12. I'm like, because Solomon knew a lot of the family history, obviously. He's part of the part of the, part of of the family there. All right, someone else, yeah. I'm, I'm always troubled that David is held so high. Right. Throughout the entire Old Testament, and from this point on, we re, re, read all oh, the Oh, it's rest. bad, yeah. King, the Chronicles, David is always held up. Yeah. But, but as a dad. A dad, not good. Not good. Not good at all. Yeah. Yeah, God can use really messed up people, <laughs> right? And he, and David was one of them, right? There's some great things that David did and some awful things David did. But God, well, that's one of the encouraging things for me, is God can work it through you and I. You and I have done stuff we probably regret, or why, why do I do that? God, God's always grace is always greater than our mistakes, right, which is great. And God, God can work through us whether uh whatever family you come from situation, been through ugly divorce, whatever the thing is, God can work through All right, one more guy, random thought. Random uh thought right right there in the butt. Yeah. Nobody forced him to make the that he made either. Yeah, no no one forced him, right? this? Can we can we solve this? Yeah, th- there was none of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and honestly I think part of David's problem was not sexual sin. It was abuse of power sin. I actually think, here's why I say that about the story with Bathsheba. Because when Nathan confronts David, he uses this illustration about taking sheep that doesn't belong to you. He's addressing the fact that David took something that didn't belong. He abused his power. Right? He's abused his power. Actually, uh, the uh, idea of abuse of power is huge throughout the scriptures. Just think what Satan said to Eve. If you eat this, you will be like what? God. You'll have more power than God designed to give you. All right? it's, it's really, really common. All right, go to, uh, page, back to page two there. Back to page two. Uh, on the bottom of page two, what I would call are some spiritual ingredients that will actually make your anger worse. These things will not, they'll make it worse. So the first one, I see my walk with God is about just do's and don'ts. Yeah, I better show up to church, be an example for my kids. Right? It's not about surrender, relationship, faith, generosity, all that stuff. Another one, my spiritual patterns in life are considered optional. Right? Optional. Um, I'm quick to blame and I'm really slow to confess sin. Uh, I don't get help some of the private areas of my life, those delicate areas. Uh, I place other things above God. I'm slow to grow in my compassion, all right? I'm slow to grow in my uh, compassion. Here's actually, I, I, this is just an opinion of mine. I think one of the signs of, I would say, godly compassion is compassion for people that have disrespected you. That's hard to do. That is not natural. Every part of us either wants to either, like, just leave them alone, I'm done with you, or fight back. Right? That's what we do as guys, right? That's just kind of what we do. Versus, I want to have compassion for people. This, this happens all the time. I was literally, two weeks ago in my office, the, the wife was really upset about something. She started raising her voice in the conversation, and, uh, and he goes, fine, deal with it yourself, and walks out of the room. And he goes, and... How do you think she received that? She. Right. So she gets more mad. She follows him, which is never a good idea. It's ne- never a good idea. And then I, as we're in the talking, I said to her, what do you crave? And she goes, compassion. And he looks at me like, what am I supposed to do with this? This person. And I said, underneath that anger, she's craving connection, compassion, understanding. And it's supernatural to be compassionate when she's at that, that place. Our normal bent is either like, I get defensive back, sarcastic back, or I'm out of here. That's what we do. It takes the Holy Spirit type stuff to go, I'm going to have compassion in those conversations. That's not natural. I really realize that. Um, another one, uh, just know about God's grace instead of absorb God's grace. Grace is just a theological concept, not an experience that you live out. And then lack of transparency with other, uh, other, other, other believers. Uh, Jason, can I ask you help with something? There's a box of pencils, I think, uh, I think in the back there somewhere, back right. Thanks for your help. All right, so all I want you to do now is this. I would like you to go to the very last page, and if you need something to write with, Jason will toss you one, hopefully not in anger. Um, it's, a, uh, you're going to take like just three minutes to do this anger checklist, and some of you are like, I'm feeling controlled, to have to do a checklist at a Hume Lake retreat. I encourage you still to do it. So. If you need something to write with, just check it off. Now, if you have, if it's like, I have some of this, sometimes check it. If it's like sometimes or more, then you check it off. If you're like, nope, not me, then just let go to the next one. So take like three minutes, read through it, and then count up your score. How many you checked? Just, Just the very last page only. Last page only. Thanks, Jason. It was was, need one up here. Yeah. Don't be thinking of your mother-in-law when you're doing this. All right, after you, after you do it, count up ha- the number of checks you have. And you're purposely given a pencil without an eraser. All right, you guys have a number? All right, hope, hopefully nobody got 100%. Hopefully nobody got, I've had guys go, why if you get 100%? I'm like, yeah, there's one. Yeah, there's one, okay. Oh, all right, all right. Okay, so uh, what I'm about to say, I'm just the messenger now, so don't be mad with what I say now. I'm just the messenger. I didn't come up with this little, little tool. So the, the guy who came up with it said, if you have 10 or more, you have a serious anger problem. Some are like, I need to erase a few. I need to have nine. I have nine, so I'm good. Now again, a lot of these aren't direct, like just, oh, I just yell at somebody, or you're typical, just mad. A lot of these have to do with what? What's inside here? What bugs me? What kind of stirs me up? What's kind of going on? Right? What irritates me? All, all those kind of kind of things. Of what, what, what goes on. So, yeah, they say if 10 or more is what they say is a serious anger problem. Right? So it can, it can look different in uh, different ways. And it's humbling to think of this page. So I would actually encourage some of you, some of you, use this page as a prayer page. Use this page as a prayer page. Just pray through some of them. Because some of them aren't, like, necessarily sinful in and of themselves. They just add to the vulnerability of what's in our cup, in our heart. And you keep just building up, building up, and now we're at the very... And just like Dave, when he first picked up, stuff's going to spill out no matter what because there's so much going on. There's so much kind of going on um, inside us. You may hear of the acronym HALT. It's used often sometimes in the addiction world, but it's a great acronym um, for any bad habit, uh, uh, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, right? If you have a few of those, please don't make any big decisions. Don't go buy a car if you have a bunch of those or all the kind of stuff. Like my kids in my own house will say, Dad, I'm hangry, um, is what, what they'll say, say, say to me. All right, going now to page, uh, page 8. Actually, I want to tell you a quick story before we go to page 8 about kind of what goes on in the heart. Quick story I want to tell you real quick before we, then we go to page 8. Uh, years ago, I was playing a pickup game of basketball. Uh, I was in high school, and it was just a normal pickup game with a bunch of, fel- bunch of guys down the street, and it was just a normal thing. And all of a sudden, I go up for a rebound, and I get an elbow to the side of the head. And I saw part of it, I knew it wasn't intentional. It was just, he, you know, you're going up at the same time, he was smaller than me, but then his elbows kinda got me. I knew 100% he wasn't being a dirty player. is just gonna happen that way, especially with a bunch of teenage guys in a pickup game, that's just going to happen. But then, something happened inside of me. And I typically was not a typically like, this super, super angry teenager. I felt like this well of rage inside of me. I mean rage, like you know the old cartoons where the red line starts going up? Like it was already here. And I, and I, I literally, and he was smaller than me, I was ready to pummel him. Like, and I, that was not my normal demeanor. That was not my normal kind of the way I carried myself. I wasn't typically, like I said, an angry teacher. But I was literally ready to be like, not just like one pop, but like, if he's on the ground, I'm still going to pop him. Like, I felt that level of rage going on inside me. And so the game was just almost about over, and I, and I just kind of said, I'm, I'm going to go home, I'm going to go home, whatever. Because like, I couldn't focus. And, and as I'm walking home, I'm like, what is going on with me like? I knew it wasn't, like, dirty, I didn't get injured, like, like what is up? You know, and, and when you're a teenage guy, you know, there's some limitations what you kind of pick up in the moment. I didn't have the self-awareness to know it in the moment. And then, it, like, later that next day, I was like, oh, that's it. And what, what fueled it, what fueled it was um, two days before that basketball pickup game, there was a girl who sat right in front of me, in uh, my English class who was killed in a car accident. And I had not talked about it, I didn't process it. It was like one of those shockers. We had literally like one of those things where you like talk that day and then that night you find out she's dead. Right, one of those things. And my rage had nothing to do with what? The basketball. That had nothing to do with that. Absolutely nothing. It was about what? The loss and shock of what happened with a good friend of mine and the grief was fueling the anger. The grief was fueling it. But I, but I think that's a symbol of us as guys all the time. We have stuff that fuels our anger, our frustration, kind of like the stuff in, in the mug. And we don't even know it sometimes. We don't even know it. I didn't know it right away. It took me until the next day to kind of figure it out like, oh. So some of you could be, I started a business years ago and it failed. And it still angst about it. Or when I grew up, my dad took off from the family and I still feel angst. Or whatever it is. We all have stuff that we don't even know that fuels our cup and we're like one drop away. One drop away. Because we've all done the following. You say something to somebody and then you're like, I wish I could pull that back. Right? And you just like it's like almost tangible you feel the words out there and you're like, oh that's um, that, that's not, that's not going to go well, right? Like, I, spent, I remember um, a time when I was talking to this couple in, in counseling and the, the, they started getting a little bit of heated stuff, and all of a sudden he goes, well, you're just doing this because you're exactly like your mom. Guys, if you're newlyweds, don't do that. And then his eyes got panicked. He was reaching for his keys. All right, because there was stuff going on in his cup, in his heart, that he then dealt with it, bubble, bubble, bubbled up, and then it lashes out. He's lashes out and it's like, oh boy, this is gonna be a long drive home. It's a 10-minute drive, but it's gonna be a long 10 minutes. But it really wasn't about her, it wasn't about me, it was all the stuff in his cup that he kept ignoring because he's got this. He's fine. He's just fine. All right, here's this is something that is really tough for us guys, and I encourage you to write this this next phrase down. Write this next phrase down. It's not in the notebook, in the handout. Is this every emotion I feel is a chance to connect with my Heavenly Father? Every emotion I feel is a chance to connect with my Heavenly Father. Your Heavenly Father cares about every ounce of who you are and what you do, every ounce. So sometimes as guys, we have stuff going on. I have guys all the time say, I don't know what to do with this emotion stuff. Oh, I just want to have some peace in my house. Right? But God cares intimately about every part of that. He cares about the regrets. He cares about the successes. He cares about your habits. He cares about things that still still kind of notch you, that you don't want to deal with. He cares all about that stuff. All right, go back to now page 8. Page 8. Three kind of styles of anger. Three styles here. Some of you will be on the left, some of you on the right, and the, the Christ-honoring one is in the middle. Right? And some of you might be on the left at work, but on the right at home, or vice versa. All right? So on the left is that passive style. On the, on the outside, you're fine, but on the inside, you're like, they're an idiot. Right? And the, the, on the right side is the obvious aggressive, I yell, I... Call names or what, whatever it is. So, uh, let's just talk on the passive side. Um, they might avoid things, like you might avoid all difficult topics, right? Or ignore stuff, um, or repress or suppress. I've had guys say something like this, especially to like one of their family members. You just can't get a joke. What's your problem? I was just joking. Like, you're so sensitive. That's anger. That's just anger coming out in kind of a sarcastic way. That's going to cause hurt to the person on the receiving end of that. It is. You know, but again, it's not your typical, I yelled, I punched something in the wall, whatever it is. Um, so just there's the idea of kind of being pa- passivity. Um, I, I kind of have that resentment that grows up. And then on the right side is kind of the obvious anger stuff. On the kind of the, the uh, middle one, Reactive. This is what I see a lot in families. This is what I call tit for tat. Like they say one thing and you say a little something better. They something to amp it up and they say amp it up. But By the way, um, if you want to um, slow down arguments, just you don't interrupt. Interruption always fuels the fire. Here, here's a really important tool with, with, with arguing with especially family members. The more delicate the subject, the slower you need to talk. But what do we normally do? Louder, right? If you're talking about money and you're upset that some, your spouse spent some extra money that you don't think you have, you don't go, hey, what's up time? Hey, let's talk about that. You don't talk about way. You, you talk like this. We what? what why did you do that? Do you realize that we have any money like that? We ramp it up. The speed of our words even. Proverbs talks about this. Proverbs is really clear about this. So the more delicate the topic, the slower we need to go. And tit for tat never, never works. Here's another thing that really never works. In the heat of the moment that you convince somebody of how right you are and how wrong they are. Anybody ever try that one with your kids or a boss or spouse? Well, if you would just see it like this, we'd be fine. As any of you had the ever following happen to you. You know, you pointed how wrong and how much an idiot I was. And you're right, so we're good. I've never had that be the result. You pointed out that I was an idiot, a drama queen, a this, a jerk, and because I see how you're right, I'm so wrong, I think we'll be at peace with each other and we're good. No, they either like pull away from you, I don't want to talk to you anymore, I'm done with you, or they fight back and now you're like, oh, that was ugly, that was a long night, that kind of thing. Um, uh, Another one, uh, keep going down, false superiority. Right, that happens, false superiority, I mean, just think, I've, you know, I had someone in my uh, office say, well, it's, you know, they're like, well, you're the one who's narcissistic. I mean, if they were to do a study on it, you would be their top study. <laughs> right? I mean, talk about, and we don't say it that blunt, blatantly sometimes, but what? We might have those thoughts, and they kind of leak out in really kind of more subtle ways. It's not always that kind of uh, um, obnoxious, I would say. So what I want you to do now is is this. Uh, I want you to write down one thing you want to do with today's talk. It could be, God, I need to confess the sin of anger to you. It could be, there's some areas on one of these right or left-hand columns, that's me sometimes. I do the tit for tat. Or I'm a professional stuffer, but I'm angry on the inside, and I need to deal with that. I need to actually admit it. The, bit, the place to start with anger is to be honest about the anger. You'll, nobody ever gets better at anger without, I would say, God-like honesty. I always say if this, if I were to say, God, tell me about how you think about my anger, and then he answers that, and then I say how I think about my anger, I hope my answers would be the same. I hope my answers would be the same. So I want you to take, write down like one sentence. What do you want to do with today's talk? And please don't write down, I'll help someone else with their anger. This is a good handout for my adult children. I can use a lot of help. Please don't do that. That will, yeah. All right, take 30 seconds, write down one thing you want to remember from today's chat. It helps to summarize, right, one practical thing for you. All right, let's end this way. Those same groups of two or three you were talking to a little bit ago, why don't you talk to them, and if you're comfortable saying, what's one thing I want to remember, and actually say it out loud, what's one thing I want to remember, it could be there's one thing on that checklist, like, oh, I could not have checked that. I could have highlighted that one. All right? Um, all right, go break chat. I know some of you are like, oh, do I really have to? You can do this even if you feel controlled. That's all right. Go no break chat. What's one thing you want to remember from today and actually talk about it? One thing you want to remember. All right, come on back. We're going to end, end right now just because I know uh, you guys need a break before we come back, I think, at 10.30. So uh, uh, on the handout is my email. If any of you have, like, a question about something, feel free to email me. It's on the front of that, that page. I'm glad to, uh, to answer that. Uh, here's, here's one last little tool I want to give you. This is what I hear from children and spouses and girlfriends is this, the following tool. That they say, the man of my life feels like difference of opinion equals disrespect. They f- that, that's, that's one of the things I hear all the time. That difference of opinion is disrespect, and it's not. Difference of opinion is just difference of opinion. So what happens is they shut down with us as men because we feel that way. So that's just not true. So let me pray for us, and then you guys get a break until uh, the 1030 time. So God, we thank you. Thank you, God, that you are so slow to anger. I thank you for your word. I, I pray for the, every man in here that we all need work on this. Especially this side of heaven, God, we all need your help. Thank you that the gospel says we're worse off than we realize, but we're far greater accepted than we realize. How the gospel can transform our lives. We thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen.